right, welcome back to another episode of Political Football. Some thought this day would never come, but guess what? We will always come back better and build back better than what we were before. Uh, a lot of water has travelled under the bridge since the last time we came to you on air. Our good, long-time listeners, first-time callers um, that are tuning in here today from all over the world. Um, we have a huge grand final review special today. A bit light on the policy side here, but we're going to wrap that up quickly for you because uh, we always give you a dose of uh, political football because we like to be informed uh, as well as entertained. But of course, rather than coming from the room that, uh, that I'm currently sitting in, uh, he's coming to me from about 15,000 miles away. Uh, it's Mr. Joseph Boyden. How are you, mate? How is the Big Apple for the Big Hombre? Uh, how are you settling into the move there in New York? big ocean and a big land mass isn't going to stop us from, from doing this thing. Um, New York has been a delight so far, mate. I've just been posted up on Long Island trying to find myself a job to get that, um, get that visa sorted. But we're, we're well in the process. We've been interviewing with different companies. It's just taken a tad longer than I thought, but all shall be fine. I'll um, relocate to London at the end of this week. Um, just because the tourist visa is about to run out, but that's not a problem because London has a lot to offer for the next few, you know, little bit of time. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go over there, we'll hook in a bit, and then we'll find a job back here, and all will be sweet, mate. I'll be back before you know it. Um, yeah, it's been good though, mate. I've been just a lot of hanging out, a lot of it was it was summer when I came here, so nice and warm, a lot of a lot of beach, a lot of pool. Um, you know, just general summer life. So I've been enjoying myself quite a lot, mate. Um, yeah, good to see you. Good to see your face up on the screen again. Um, can't wait to get into it. Hey, that's, good. that's great to hear. And people uh, underestimate how much weather has an effect on you, seeing that uh, I was seeing Zach Crawley look like the second coming of Don Bradman uh, in 13-degree weather uh, in Manchester, where I had to go actually go and buy a jumper. That's how physically cold it was in the middle of summer. Uh, so that New York, uh, the New York summer, uh, is uh, is certainly something certainly can be appreciated. Uh, it probably didn't help that I had ulcerative colitis and and my guts were ripping each other apart. Uh, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Uh, a lot of questions are coming from our viewers as well. A lot of obviously cross cutting between uh, political football uh, and hooking uh, and fumble to fortune. Of course, the latest offshoot. Uh, have you found the best bacon egg roll, bacon egg roll yet uh, in uh, in New York? And uh, does it stack up to the sort of market that we we have back here in Sydney? Mate, I haven't found it just yet, but I'm, I am hot on the pursuit. Um, I've I've been to quite a lot of places already. I've only, I've only put two videos out of egg and bacon rolls, but I've probably got like five or six videos waiting to release. Um, but I get a bit, you know. One, I get a bit lazy with it. Two, I try and stagger them a little bit just so I don't run out of run out of content to post. Um, uh, I think I've posted the best one I've had so far, so I'm not hiding anything too dramatic yet. But there are a couple that I've had recently that have been top notch. Um, that'll that'll surface, but I still haven't found that ten out of ten yet, mate. The only the one I posted a couple of weeks ago that's that was a nine and a half out of ten in my book. So very 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 close. Um, but 
just just missing something and I don't know what that something was but I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna fucking eat it and I'm gonna go back there every day when I find best believe the uh that's interesting and that one you had a couple of weeks ago that uh that what you have so- sausage and turkey and that as well as bacon and egg is that right oh you load those bitches up man like when you get them you get them from a like a deli usually or like a you know you know what the side of sort of thing when you yeah. went to new york you know those like kind of corner shop deli sort of things or like a bagel store but they kind of serve the same purpose and they have all the meats there um all the cheeses you just select what you want on it so i guess that's something that differs from australia a lot when you go get an egg and bacon roll back home it's coming off a set menu you know what i mean if you want to add something to it you pay an extra and they usually have to go out of their way to sort of include it like if you put a hash brown on it or whatever but here you just it's expected that you select every ingredient that you want um and nothing's bizarre to them they make crazy ones and some of the stuff people order is insane so um you just i just stack it up you know yeah so, very very innovative as well getting the three meats you know i've heard people getting the bacon and sausage and about you know with, with the egg but a bacon sausage and turkey it's like a it's like a breakfast version of tadakin <laughs> mate it, it is a very underrated combination i um did it at first just because i was indecisive and didn't know which meat i wanted but it hits like you get that softness of the turkey the crunchiness of the bacon and then that power a bit of saltiness from the sausage oh you can't go wrong if it's hey if it slaps it slaps in the words of the old man the um anyway that's that's great stuff there and if you want to hear more about that sort of stuff tune into my man's podcast hooking comes out weekly much more frequently than mine uh and also fumble to fortune if you want to make a small fortune uh, getting around some nfl uh gambling gamble responsibly you win some, you lose more. Um, but uh, let, let's move on now. I'm just going to give a quick wrap-up here of some policy, especially in the economic area, uh, that's occurred since our last recording in June. Uh, first Labor New South Wales budget in 12 years dropped uh, last month. Very much a brick-and-mortar approach in relation to assessing where the budget's at. Big focus on schools and hospitals in Western Sydney. Uh, not much else in there besides some savings and some restructuring across portfolios. Be interesting to see how going forward they try and uh, put their stamp on, uh, on on government again. First time in 12 years, so very much getting across it. So more to see there and see how those things roll out. Obviously, a big focus on housing as well. But again, a lot of those measures just touching the side for what's actually needed. But uh, we'll see how that goes as the term goes along. Uh, the Treasurer at a, at a federal level, Jimmy Chalmers, released the latest inter- iteration of the Intergenerational Report, much like the previous ones, with a bit more extra detail and a bit more depth in this one, as you would expect from Jimmy Chalmers, as opposed to Josh Frydenberg, um, covering off you know the sort of systemic uh, spending pressures facing the federal budget, aging, <coughs> pardon me, aging population, care economy, um, defence spends, uh, you know, large areas of government spending over time with a shrinking working population. Um, and so therefore, you know, having been probably to look at tax reform, even though electrically, electorally, you know, that's been very hard over the last two decades. But, you know, if the uh, pressure's there enough, um, decision, decisions will have to be made. Um, in terms of appointments, uh, head of the new head of the Productivity Commission is Danielle Wood. Uh, as I was describing to Joe pre-podcast, uh, she's a female Lamar Jackson of the economics world, uh, 
headed up the Grant Institute for a period of time. Um, if anyone knows the Grant Institute, they do great impartial policy advice um, across numerous areas. Uh, and she's a great economic communicator. And anyone who knows a good economist, they're a good economic communicator and able to communicate difficult ideas or things that, you know, that are often spent years uh, spreading through and be able to communicate that to the average punter, much like we do here on political football. Um, how'd you like that one, Joe? There we, that was, uh, there's some oh, chat. Yeah, mate, I just laughed, but I was on mute. That's right. That's, <laughs> I wrote that stuff out. Uh, I'm in a nice flow state at the moment, 10 o'clock at night, you know, I don't know what's going on in your head, but something's going on. Um, the, uh, employment white paper, um, is the last item I want to talk about here. Um, so again, it's about reimagining full employment. Um, big focus of this uh, existing government at a federal level has been trying to keep unemployment low, uh, even as interest rates and the economy slows. Um, a lot of this is sort of, if you dig beneath the surface, there's a lot of things that need to be done, especially with the clean energy economy and the roles that needs to be filled there. And obviously the care economy as well, aged care sector, child care. Um, you know, a lot of these are labour intensive and require a lot of roles to be filled. So um, you know, there is an increasing focus that unemployment could be kept around that three and a half, four percent mark, um, as opposed to sort of where we have been over the last two decades around that five percent, um, sort of what they consider the non non accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. That is the level of inflation um, needed to keep unemployment, uh, uh, you know, at, at its current level, or sorry, the rate of unemployment the other way around. Um, so yeah, focusing on that, some key objectives around sustainable wage growth. So that's an increasing focus of this government. Wages with a three in front of them instead of a two. Uh, reigniting productivity growth. And a lot of that comes back to skills, you know. So that um, even though unemployment's uh, really low at the moment and, um, you know, employers are struggling to find workers in a lot of areas, uh, a lot of it comes back to will be filling up underemployment. So where people don't have the skills required at the level needed to. So that requires, you know, you know building up TAFE again, um, and that's been an increasing focus at a state and a federal level, um, really valuing TAFE uh, and higher degree apprentices uh, for what they are, especially in clean energy care, um, care economy and digitalization as a digital skills, and then also be able to recognize skills across borders. So there's some measures in there. I won't go into too much detail, but um, you can jump online there and have a read of it. I think it's a really good thing. Um, I think, you know, we look at the post-World War II period where unemployment was around 2.5% uh, for a long period of time uh, before, the, you know, there was different periods where it jumped up, obviously, during recessions, especially the 70s, um, early 90s as well, and stayed structurally high. But, um, you know, now's a really good chance to uh, be able to keep it there for a longer period of time because, as uh, I mean, uh, I think Julia Gillard and both Tony Abbott said it, you wouldn't expect them to say two things that are quite similar. The best type of welfare is a job. <laughs> Um, so, uh, what's that? As I said, I don't know what's going on in your head right now, but I suppose if you combine Julia Gillard and Tony Abbott, you might get something that looks like Donald Trump. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll leave that there, and we're going to roll now into some sports. Uh, we're going to come back to you in a second, just after we play this short clip. You might have seen it before. But uh, he's a man of the moment. He's a very, very special player. Let's see what he's got to say to you.
Well, there you have it. Uh, that was Matty Thompson from Channel 9 delivering and, and commentating and giving justice to one of the great grand final comebacks. The greatest grand final comeback, actually. Uh, 16 points, Penrith trail, but by midway through the second half. Uh, Nathan Cleary with one PCL wrote himself into immortality in my book. None of the, I think he had it previously, but boy, oh boy, did he uh, come back and deliver one of the best cameos, if you want to describe it, that uh, 20 minutes of football that you will ever see. It, it, it was lights out. It was, it was Tom Brady against Atlanta back in, what was that, 2017, 2018 when that occurred. It was unbelievable. Uh, just the Iceman... First of all, he it was just an unbelievable game. Joe, I can't even just reflecting back on. I can't even talk about it. It, it, it. it was so good. Maybe just hit us with your reflections on on that game, watching from afar, but obviously still keeping a very close eye on it. Mate, I thought like I couldn't believe my eyeballs. You know, um, especially if we just shoot off onto the AFL Grand Final for a second. Like coming off the back of that game alone. Like, you know, the amount of years those, you know, you don't, you're not getting a great world-class game for both the AFL and the NRL each year. Like, think about last year, you know, the AFL Grand Final was a big disappointment. It was a flogging, it wasn't close. Um, the NRL Grand Final was much similar, wasn't close. You know, you build, and we all build ourselves up for those key big Grand Final games, big Grand Final moments, and we often don't get them delivered. Um so after the AFL Grand Final, I was almost satisfied with the quality of that game. And then coming into the NRL, I thought, how could we top that? But, like, incredible. I, I just could not believe it. You, you know, like, there was that, that moment in the game, probably, you know, 20, 18, 20 minutes left in the game where you just start to think, like, oh, it's over. Like, Brisbane have done it. Well done. But you can't, like, just in the back of your head, you're just thinking, but, you know, like... You never know, like, there's still time, and as soon as Cleary made that first line break, where he just, what did he just skip through, I think he, who did he fake to, Martin maybe, um, Drew in Mam, I think it was, look, my, my memory's pretty short, yeah. but... Capewell um, and Capewell missed, Capewell missed the tackle, he fended off Capewell and Mam came out of the line. Yeah, and then Leona backing up in the middle, and I just thought, as soon as he threw that inside ball, and it was, like, the try was safe. I thought to myself, we're like, we're so on here. Like, if I was back home, I'd be straight on the blow at a sports bet line. But, yeah, I, I couldn't have imagined anything as good as that. I think, personally, it's the best grand final I've ever seen. I think it beats 2015 just because of the narrative um, around the game and what was at stake and how the comeback was sort of just constructed by one key player alone, I think it rivals 2015 and just beats it. But, yeah, I couldn't believe it, mate. It was definitely worth getting up at 4.30 in the morning for, for sure. Absolutely. And I think that's a good summary there. And, and in that second half, it, it was dominoes. It was, you know, they put on those three tries in about 10 minutes. Ezra Mam putting on one of the, you know, the most scintillating, you know, little stints of a grand final in history, you know, scoring a hat-trick. In ten minutes, and it was the nature of the trials as well. All sort of individual brilliance. Um, f- first two from Mam, and then um, third one from Reese Walsh, just absolutely leaving Cleary for dead. I mean, that step when I when I saw it live, you know, there's, there's some moments where you just go, oh, 
and I, I was like that. And, and then he hit the, the fend on Targo, and then before you know it, he's hitting the inside ball to Mem, and then Taruba's coming across and tries to ankle tap you, and then Mem hits a little stutter step. That's what you know when you're good on your feet, when you hit that little stutter step, when you're trying to evade someone ankle tapping you, and he hit that big smile uh, to the camera uh, that he's now famous for. Um, and, but even more so than that, the next set, I, I think that Penrith are defending Isaiah Yo goes off for a HIA, HIA, and you think, oh God, you know, th- th- there's their fearless leader alongside Cleary. He's got, and then they also, um, I think, uh, who was it, Cogger, uh, gets done for a strip on, on, on Payne Haas, and they challenge it unsuccessfully. And you're thinking, oh gosh, you know, Brisbane with their offloading. You know, I think at that point, Leota and Fisher-Harris are off and Payne Haas was, you know, putting it in his inspirational performance, Carrigan through the middle, they can control that. But then when Leota and Fisher-Harris came back on, much like the first 20 minutes of the game, the, the, the middle turned and they start to get a bit more traction through the centre and they just look so, so much a better team um, with, with those two on rolling through the middle and can match Brisbane. Um, but yeah, just a crazy game. So the first half, 8-6, um, what is it? A, a try each and a, and a penalty penalty goal, and then the second half, eighteen, eighteen unanswered points on both teams. Penrith ended up winning twenty six twenty four. But that first twenty minutes, the intensity of them coming off the line was just absolutely insane. It was an absolute dogfight, and then it opened up in the second half as it would have to because it was just an insane pace. But it was just when when you get the contrasting sides of the two a dogfight into a, an opening solo like that. I think that's where it gives credence to people saying it, or even though, you know, everyone's, you know, a, a fan of recency bias, the, you know, it was the best game of rugby league I've seen, you know, and, and it, it was, it didn't have the potential come in because Penrith and Brisbane were the two best teams all year. It was, it was a clear gap between them and, and the rest. And that showed through the final series, they both destroyed uh, Melbourne and the Warriors respectively over the course of their finals draw. And and no one else came close um, to to those to those teams. So, just uh, unbelievable. And that leads me to my next question. And I'm keen to get your thoughts on this because I know you're not one to jump the gun. But uh, is Cleary the the next immortal in waiting? He's 25 years of age. He's won three premiership, two Clive Churchills, three Origin series. He's won a World Cup with Australia. A, a lot of people go through their whole career and never put up that sort of uh, collective stat line. Um, obviously, besides the individual brilliance and the stats around his tries, his you know forty uh, twenties and all all those sort of numbers that you look for on a halfback, what what's your take on this? Yeah, I I let, let me just say something first. I see I see a lot of people talking about this right now, and especially through the media. And I know the general consensus, at least from what I see, is that it's you can't say the word immortal while someone's still playing and that's what everyone throws out there like but why not you know what I mean like if if we like why can't you say immortal while clear is still there look what he's already done he's played in four grand finals in a row as you said won three in a row first time that's been done since the mighty Parramatta in the 80s um if he and it, you got to think long term here, when we look back at someone's career to see if they would be an immortal or not picture him retiring today and then 10 years from now if you look back on Cleary's career and just seeing what he's done already that's almost enough to warrant it and then that's not even considering that he might even have 7 to 10 more years left in his career so 
all he would have to do from now is maybe win one more comp, go to two or three more grand finals, even, you know, like maybe even just win or carry in a New South Wales side. But um, I think to not even consider immortal status just because there's this sort of expected belief that current players shouldn't be talked about like that, I think is stupid. Um, he's... There's nobody else in the NRL right now who you would sort of talk about in this conversation, but the fact that it keeps coming back up for Cleary just shows that it's on everyone's mind and it's worth thinking about and he definitely should be there at some point. Um, unless it comes out of Penrith with cheating and the drug cheating. <laughs> but no. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's warranted. At least, at least the discussion, you know, like... Don't label him as an immortal while he's still playing, but the discussion and expectation um, definitely should be talked about. But also, I th- feel like we should be a little bit careful. You know, now that this is a big conversation, that's a lot to weigh on a player's chest. Um, and I know Cleary is good at sort of not letting the outside world put pressure on him, um, especially shown by his his dealings with old Mary Fowler. But. Um, <laughs> I think the kid can handle it. He got it in him, the boy. He does. He got that dog, as I would say over there in the uh, in the college football system, uh, which we'll get to in in a second. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think he eats eats the pressure. I think he's got that bit of uh, you know. I know he's a big follower of his American sports. I know he's a big Philadelphia Eagles uh, fan. So I think uh, I think he's come out and said that he wants to be the greatest of all time. Uh, I think before the final series or whatever when he said that. So. Um, he's conscious of it, and I think uh, we don't really have those discussions too much here because I think you know it's we're d- different culturally. Whereas like uh, in the US, you have a two-hour sports show like every day talking about who's the goat of each sport, um, which is pretty funny um, and not a bad job if you've got it. Um, but uh, you know, I think yeah, it's just a it's a pleasure to. There's not many players I sit back and, and from other teams being the diehard uh, West fan that I am and just sit back and enjoy watching play. Uh, but he he is one of them. Um, he, his ability to make you know he, he t- touch the ball seventy eighty times. I'm going to launch into a bit of monologue here about my man Nathan Cleary, uh, who could have easily been in the Tigers jersey if his dad uh, didn't selfishly walk out on the on the on the on, uh, Concord. But I guarantee he wouldn't have had three premierships by now if he came to uh, to the mighty West Tigers. Um, but uh, he, he's just an, uh, a special player to watch. He you know, touches the ball seventy to eighty times a game. A lot of the time, he'll make the right decision, whether it's dropping someone underneath, um, you know, running himself, being a third of the line, ball playing at the back, um, and using the, the tools around him to, to their highest potential. And I think that's a really good sign of a of a champion player is not only someone who's the best player in the team themselves, but they elevate those around them, like Dylan Edwards, Stephen Crichton, uh, the forward pack. You know, it doesn't seem to matter who comes in there on the edge back row there, whether it's Scott Sorensen, the mighty Luke Garner, uh, you know, what a move for him and coming from Concord and getting himself onto the bench and, and uh, getting getting himself a chip. Um, and, and, and that's fantastic as well. But even even more so than that, and obviously people would think, you know, a week and a half out for The Voice, um, you know, Tom Pauly, he's a big passionate advocate of The Voice. Anyone who tries to argue the no case against him gets wristled uh, and gets their dignity attacked, uh, and rightly so. Um, I, I didn't mention it there because I was, I was going to save it to here because obviously earlier in the week, Nathan Cleary... Um, well, not earlier in the week. It was actually... It was recorded a month ago at some workshop um, 
that, that he attended to, to for something with Penrith. Um, and he volunteered uh, to the person running the workshop saying, is there anything I can do to, to lend a hand to, to support the case for, for a yes vote? Uh, in the uh, in the referendum uh, to recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the constitution and we give them the voice to Parliament, nothing more, nothing less. Um, <laughs> the uh, just to, just for clarity for those ones listening who who are still unsure um, if, the, if any of those exist, um, he, and he uh, decided he just recorded a little five second video with uh, an Uluru statement of the heart t shirt on, which I must say uh, was one of the best fitting t shirts I've ever seen. The bloke has got pipes. For days, I'm not sure whether he just does arms in the gym, but what a what a physique this guy is! Uh, and I can recognise that as a as someone uh, you know who's been through the ring in the last couple of months, and he, and his rig's gone down the gurgler. Um, but uh, just to, just to recognise, and I, I wish uh, I'm sure there's plenty of athletes out there who who are of you and I. I know in the US it's a bigger thing over there because you know we're talking about play, people getting paid much more a proportionate as to what the average person gets paid here. Although we're starting to get into some really big categories. You know, big Nathan Cleary being the million-dollar man that he is, but not quite like the US, where um, I suppose you look to like a LeBron James um, and other people over there, you know, as being big social, you know, they're, they're as much, as, you know, responsible in the social community as anyone else, you know, in terms of their commentary, whereas here it's a bit much more segmented. Um, but, yeah, people, athletes, you know, coming out and speaking, I think the Socceroos have done it in the past in relation to, you know, they did something in relation to Qatar and the work rights for the workers who built the stadiums there. And I know the Matildas have done stuff before. And I, I really like it, you know. People who say politics and sport don't, don't match or they, they shouldn't mix, just don't, just don't get footy. They just don't get footy. They're, they're inherently linked, hence the name political football, the politics of sport and the sport of politics. Um, but you just got to admire this guy. Um, he's obviously future Australian captain. I imagine he'll inherit the role from Teddy uh, going forward, but um, for me, he's an immortal in waiting. He's the best. Uh, he he'd be in the top three players that I've seen, um, and probably if I was objectively, he'd be at the top of the list for what he's achieved so far. That that'd be him, uh, Jonathan Thurston, and Benji Marshall. Um, I know people will say, "Well, what about Joey Johns?" I, I to be honest, I, you know, I was a bit young for Joey, so that's why I don't have him in there. But um, you know, um, I'm sure plenty of people consider that. And he's already an immortal, so I don't feel like that's. Too much of a thing. So perhaps the best three players in Arnold Immortal, Benji Marshall, Jonathan Thurston and um, Nathan Cleary in my eyes. So and Nathan will probably will most likely be the next one. We'll see if Thurston gets in there. That'd be an interesting debate as well. Um, so that's my little take on that too. But we let's let's save it there again. What what a grand final. Great endorsement for the sport. Again, proves why rugby league uh, is the greatest game of all. Um, and there's still plenty of good news for those who are big rugby league fans. There's still plenty to come. There is still plenty of rugby league to come because International Rugby League is back. The Pacific Test Championship, a new style that the uh, NRL is flirting with uh, this sort of uh, this spring. Um, I think it's Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, uh, PNG, Samoa, and Tonga are the six countries. Um, and then they play off. I don't think they play each other, uh, all play each other, but there's a, there's a couple, you play a couple of games and then there's a semi final, then there's a final. Um, Tom, I will, I will correct you. Tonga are not playing. Oh, they're, they're not? In, they're in their separate series in England right now. They're doing a best of or three game series against the UK. So. Right, right. Okay, that, that, that makes sense. I appreciate the, the pick up there, but it's good to see, regardless, good to see England playing against Tonga as well. Um, 
So I've got a couple of things here. So Cleary is now out of the uh, Australian side, which obviously a huge blow with a, uh, what looks to be a PCL, PCL injury. Um, Hines has been caught into the squad, um, but I presume DCE will be now the, the seven with Munster the six. Again, looking through this team, again, I, I know I've got New South Wales goggles on, but again, Mal loves a, a Queensland bias. Uh, you know, Harry Grant and uh, and Ben Hunt sharing the dummy half role. For me, like, it's absolute crime that Appy Corusau isn't in the team. Um, you know, like, I, I like Ben Hunt, and I think he's a good player, and perhaps you could play him as a utility, but Harry Grant and Appy Corusau both deserve to be in the team from my perspective. Um you got, you know, I, I think we're probably a bit light on the outside backs due to injury. Uh, and obviously the forwards, you know, the uh, the Pacific countries are very strong in that area. You know, I think we've got Flegler, Fasua, Malawi, Cotter, Collins and Carrigan. Um, we'll, be, we'll make up the bulk of the middle there with Isaiah Yo. So obviously all very good players. But, you know, when you're going up against New Zealand with the likes of Fisher-Harris, Joseph Tarpany... Moses Leota, Isaiah Papali'i, um, who am I missing there? Uh, you know, uh, Nelson of Sofa Solomona, uh, what a pack. Uh, and similar with Samoa with uh, Junior Ballo um, and, and, and the likes over there. It's the big Stefano making his debut for Samoa. Um, so yeah, just give us your thoughts on the teams. Do you think Australia's class will rise to the top as it usually does? Or do you think, you know, they're that New Zealand or, or Samoa can, can have Australia in a, in, a, in a format like this? Look, mate, I think there's no question that will go undefeated. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's just the cold, hard, honest truth for all our Samoan fans. Um, but there's a certain Dalian medalist missing from our lineup, which I think is one of the great disrespects of all time that can be done. It's like... It's like almost suggesting that that award was just the Petty Award. Um, I think the Dalian should be the first secured place in the Australian team or in an international team that they represent. Not as a concrete rule, but just as a respect rule. Um, So Ponga not being even just named in the squad is ridiculous to me. I don't see where he fits into the squad based on what we have, but just to not even have him on on the team... Um, going around with the boys as a Dalian medalist is absolutely ridiculous to me. Um, also, no Reese Walsh in there either. Like, the, like these guys were key key players on one of the best on two grand final teams of the best one of the best seasons we've ever seen. Um, I don't know. Selection just seems to be a little bit like New South Wales at the moment as well, where. They're just stagnant and stuck in a rhythm and pattern of selecting the same guys who have done the job before rather than basing it on form and sort of who deserves to be there based off, you know, the efforts they've put in during the regular season. So I don't agree entirely with the selections, but I do think it is a very, very, very strong side. Um, New Zealand, I think, is our biggest our biggest mashup issue, but there, who are they missing? Someone pulled out for them. Um, Sean Johnson pulled out of New Zealand, so I think that's a huge loss. Um, I think all those, all the great New Zealand teams that we've come up against, usually have a good half combination that threatens us a lot. Um, they have the pack and they have the outside backs, but they're just that link in the middle that makes them both work is super important. And I think not having 
Sean Johnson there for the Kiwis will be a huge sort of deficit to their team. But yeah, I, th- I think we'll cu- I think we'll pull through here. Um, but it's really good to see Samoa sort of attracting their their talent back to play for in the blue jersey. Um, kind of makes for a more exciting international game, which has been missing for quite some time. But uh, yeah, I think we get the job done. There are some very good points that you picked up there too, and just thinking about the fullback fullback depth that we have, it is insane. One name you forgot to mention there as well, who would equally is be hard done by, is Caitlin Ponger and Reese Welsh for their for their brilliance. Is Dylan Edwards, uh, absolute gun. I mean, he's won three back to back or three premierships now, and then he's also uh, you know was was a Clifford Churchill medalist in one. He's featured for very highly in Dalian points. Obviously, he's a bit different to the Tedesco, um, and he's obviously still a bit different to Callum Ponga and the Reese Welsh style. You know, he's just a, you know, like this guy does not make a mistake. He's a run machine. Is he will always uh, cover at the back? Like it's just a model of consistency, um, and, and it's so it's so hard with, with the fullback depth across the across the competition that to crack that spot. Um, it's often a matter matter of timing in relation to. You know, Tedesco came along probably at the right time to replace Slater. And then, you know, the next guy who's with the long-term fullback will be the right guy to replace Tedesco in the next, you know, one to two or two to three years, whenever that occurs. Uh, but it would still be great to have them in the, in the squad and get a run uh, in maybe one of the games against Samoa. But I suppose when your fullback's a captain, you've got to play him in every game. In relation to New Zealand, in, yeah, obviously Sean Johnson, a massive loss. Massive loss. So I still have Dil Brown... And Jareem, uh, Jareem, Jareem Bull will be playing for Fiji. Watch out for that young star. Um, Jerome, Jerome Hughes uh, in the halves of Kieran Fawn potentially being that 14 option. So they've still got some options there in the halves. And, uh, you know, yeah, that forward pack, oh, gosh, what a forward pack. That forward pack, you know, that, for me, that forward pack outdoes Australia um, in, in a lot of regards. And, and I know, like, what, what, we only, what do we beat them by in the World Cup? You know, I think we... Oh, they got knocked out before we played him in the World Cup, did we? Or did we play him? In? Yeah, I think they got knocked out, didn't they? Yeah, they got they got done by Samoa. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's one of those things. But um, yeah, and then yeah, Samoa again, strong forward packing, some good outside backs, but just lacking a half. I know you got the, your favourite player in there, Dijon Arsi, um, <laughs> uh, young Parramatta star. Uh, coming through, but um, yeah, we'll see how we go. But just on the Pacific Championships, and I'm going to give my round of the day here, my bet, my beef of the week, uh, much vaunted segment brought to you by Home Depot. Um, <laughs> the games that Australia will be playing in, um, and I'm all for spreading the game of rugby league far and wide. It's a great soft, soft, uh, soft diplomacy tool uh, in the Pacific as, as China tries to spread their reach across the. Well, you know, one of our greatest fightback tools is rugby league and our shared love of rugby league with the Pacifica um, is no games will be played in Sydney. None. And and particularly Western Sydney where you've got, you could have both a core or perhaps more suitably uh, the purpose-built Bank West uh, or now Combank Stadium. Uh, Australia will be playing their games in Townsville. Fair enough. Let's get around regional Queensland, support the base up there. But the other set of games, and I think Australia versus New Zealand, will be played in Melbourne. Melbourne. Not only do they get the Indigenous All-Stars all the time and a whole bunch of other games as well, they, they're getting this, Australia versus New Zealand in Melbourne. Honestly, what, like, how much would the New South Wales government have to bid to outbid the Victorian government? 
on, on something like this. It, w- it wouldn't be much. It's just absolutely ridiculous. They're busy taking the game to the Vegas and everything, which will fall on deaf ears because the American market's saturated enough with the sport they have over there and they're just doing it for some wagering and telling the players they can't stay in Vegas on the Vegas trip. Even It's like letting a horse to water and telling them not to drink. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous on that point. But again, just... You know, just get around Western Sydney. It's one of the most diverse areas in the world. It has like 161 cultures of it. A lot of that will be Samoa, Tonga, New Zealand. But the Pacifica countries have a strong presence in Western Sydney. Let them get around the boys. Now, for me, it's not going to hurt as much to be able to because Nathan Cleary is not playing and I really wanted to see Nathan Cleary in an Australian jersey so I could actually get around him for a, for a change rather than getting around the Penrith jersey. But um, that's neither here nor there. Um, it's just, honestly, you you know... As Trump would say, you got to look after the base before you go elsewhere. Uh, I know there's been a few Trump impersonations on this one, but uh, seeing that you're coming from the US and, and a lot going on there at the moment with the uh, with Congress, I thought it'd be I thought it'd be fitting. But that's my rant of the week. Again, Western Sydney abandoned outside of outside of you know regular NRL games where obviously you get Parramatta, Penrith, uh, West Canterbury, and the like. You know, playing out of there on a regular basis. They get nothing. There should be a, there should be a magic round in Western Sydney, some form or another. I don't see why Queensland has to get it every year. Should be Queensland one year and then on an alternative basis the other year between Western Sydney and maybe another city in the country. Because you know how many times can you go to Brisbane, average city? I'm just putting it out there. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's my take on that. Any reflections on that before we get into a couple of questions that have come through for you, Mister Joseph Boyden? Yeah, mate. I think I think it's weak. Um, I mean, on the, the counter argument could be that we get most of the NRL year round. We get the grand final, um, so you know, share the love a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, you're not like you said. You're not just trying to grow your fan base. You've got to satisfy your fan base as well, and you've got to keep them fed. You've got to keep mouths fed, Tom. And I've only been to one or two uh, Kangaroos games in my time, but. You can best believe that if there was a game on in Sydney, I'd be going. Um, going to cheer on the nation. And I don't know if I would travel to Brisbane or Melbourne to see the boys play unless there was other incentives to get down uh, to one of those cities, like a good boys trip or a good, you know, concert, good little Broadway show, um, anything like that. A couple of birds. That's extra enticing. Yeah, a couple of birds. Anything of the like, Tom, but I think it's weak from the New South Wales sort of side of rugby league. Um, I do expect better, but am I surprised? No, I'm not. Um, you know, there's there's been sort of this issue with New South Wales lately where, you know, they threatened to take the World Cup, uh, the Grand Final away from us. Um, key big games, which I don't like, but... Just seems to be the trend at the moment that we got to shake, we got to move on from Tom, and we've got to we've got to win this Pacific Nations tournament. Uh, I think that's the main focus, and then hopefully we will get some games. Touching back on that Vegas thing, though, I will certainly be doing my best to get there for that. Um, you know, short flight into Vegas, I'll be doing my absolute best. Um, As you should. You know, fly in, fly out, demolition job. I'd like. Fifo. It's what Australia does best. Whether it's to Kalgoorlie or Vegas, FIFO. And that'll be me, mate. I'll be there in my Parramatta jersey. Um, We'll be fumbling our fortune in the casinos. Um, Yeah, hopefully at that point I'm 
on a visa in this, yeah. in this country so I can go in and rip and tear in Vegas and watch them run for the league. Shirt off with Dill Brown down at Win with a Wind Beach Club, seeing some seeing Fisher seeing Fisher in residence over there or whoever performs there, Kygo. I think U two is currently in uh in residence at uh, at a venue in uh, Las Vegas. So, so have you seen the uh, I have seen the sphere that is insane. That's insane. Yeah. Original name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so we've got a couple of questions coming in here from uh, what I, I didn't know that we had American viewers, but we do. This guy, his name is Pat, and he's from Indianapolis. Uh, Pat McAfee, his name is actually, and he's got a couple of questions here for you, for you, Joseph. He goes, "What is it like following Aussie sports overseas, and what could the NRL learn from NFL college football coverage, or vice versa?" <laughs> uh, well, Tom, it's it's pretty shit. To Aussie sports it's really easy to follow American sports from Australia it's all about the time sort of link up you know like back in Australia if you want to watch the NFL it's on midday or it's on you know early afternoon which is prime for a lot of occasions same with the NBA you know you're never waking up too early unless it's that early um, NFL slot but you know the prime time games are usually midday to 1 to 2 p.m., so it's really good, but the NRL is atrocious. Like, those, say it's a Super Saturday and you've got your 3 p.m. game, I think that that's like 1 a.m. or something, um, and then the 8 p.m. game doesn't start till like, I don't know, 4 in the morning or something, something like that, but it's it's really difficult. I actually, the, the grand final was the last, was the first game I watched since I came over here. Um, you know, I could watch replays and stuff, but I see the scores as soon as I wake up, and I just that turns me off. I feel like I don't need to watch replays, especially when Parra was getting dominated. When I, <laughs> I just had no reason to sort of watch it, but um, was was keeping up very close, watching the highlights, like the extended highlights of each game. But just terrible to watch live, just based on time matchups. I don't know how that'd be fixed. You'd have to wait and play a game a lot later. Um, but yeah, it's a bit difficult. But I still keep very close eye on things, um, and yeah, excited for what's to come. Very good. And, and the second part. So, what could uh, the NRL learn from uh, NFL college football? So, um, yeah, look, I feel like just making the fans happy is the first, the first step towards that. As I kind of said before. American sport has a really good sort of dynamic at the moment where they've grown their sport to a very, very, very high level and high standard, and they've sort of maintained a big fan base. Um, Obviously, you've still got to be sort of fixated on growth, but they've grown to a very, very high level where they can now just focus on maintaining and keeping their fan base locked in. So they offer sort of around-the-clock analysis. Um, You know, they love the drama. I feel like drama is recommended in their sport um, just because it keeps people's eyeballs glued. You know, when you're in the NBA off-season, the NFL off-season there's always shit happening they've got different little spin-off things like the Summer League in the NBA um, they have the draft in just after the season ends so they keep people engaged non-stop so it's like following the sport 365 days of the year essentially whereas NRL kind of goes cold from now until February, let's say, 
Um, I feel like if we do a better job of keeping fans active in those times, would be good. But I feel like the NRL right now is just in a just in a sincere sort of growth mindset where we're really trying to penetrate different markets and we're focused on growing, but this keeping our fans, current fans, satisfied sort of takes a backseat at the moment, which I think is, is a bit troubling with the NRL. But hopefully with the growth they have in mind, we can get to a point like the NFL and college football. But, you know, I think we're 100 million resident population of that and um, maybe some $20 million contracts for players, but we'll see. Yeah, some very good points. And I think, um, yeah, the, the, the saturation um, over there is just next level. The the coverage throughout the week, like, again, for someone who visited the States, you know, just on 12 months ago now, as the uh, NFL season was kicking off, literally they would talk about the same thing they talked about yesterday, but they might get, like, just a re- like a new beat journalist to report from out the front of the stadium, and that would be the new thing. And so that would that would drive me mad, as opposed to like things when you actually hear in, over here, just they're just reported because they actually occur. Um, you know, there's a bit more speculation in it now with you know how much the meet, the broadcast rights dominate, and you know how much content they've got to produce. But it's still next level over there. I do like um, you know I'm I'm a big hype guy, so I do get you know sucked in by some of that American. Uh, you know, hoopla, you know, around, especially college, like, I, as I said before, um, pre-podcast, you know, they're getting, I've been getting around college game day, um, and, and that's just insane, you know, like, the college, first of all, college football is the biggest rort for the players, I mean, they just get absolutely shafted, not getting paid, given how much they get, the, the broadcast rights are, and how much media coverage there is, and, and just how much money flows around, bar the players, uh, NCAA, it's a joke, um, but uh, the, the hype around that and, like, how they just get... It's like a whole community thing. Um, you know, like, I've been watching college football. You know, I've been to Duke in North Carolina, Boulder in uh, in Colorado, Notre Dame in uh, in, in, in Indiana. And, and the celebrity guest picks, you know, they get, like, Vince Vaughn. They've had The Rock and Ken Jong. Ken Jong was hilarious on the weekend. Um, it's worth just watching the last half hour just to see the, the, the picks and, like, the... Lee Corso, even though he's like half dead, uh, <laughs> do his uh, you know, like a mascot head pick, you know, and he goes, Give me that dog! I find that very amusing. Uh, but again, uh, yeah, as people around me know, I'm, I'm a big sucker for that hype, hype, hype stuff. But um, yeah, it, it's just, it's, just, it's all engrossing and it's fun. Uh, yeah, too, too much of it yeah, can be too much, and I think we do a really good job here in transitioning between summer and winter sports. Like I feel like in the in the states, it just comes all at once. You know, like from September through to through to February, you know, it's 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 uh you know it's finals baseball, it's uh, NFL, it's NHL and and uh, NBA, and then you you get, you get to like get to March, and or like there's NBA through to June, but like literally like there's only there's only baseball and from like April through to September because it's a you know it's a major summer sport there. Is I feel like you know we do cricket here and NBL. There's a bit more of a of a, of a tasting palate over the course of the twelve months of right, you know horse racing. If you're a horse racing enthusiast like myself, um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, you know there's, there's lessons on both sides. But uh, I'm happy with I'm happy with what we've got here. We've got the greatest game of all rugby league. Um, but moving on to one of my other favourite sports and. Something while we retain the ashes, um, it wasn't quite in the manner that 
I would have liked being turning up and, and heading over to the UK before getting sniped by uh, Brendan McCullum in the stands in Manchester. Um, <laughs> um, let's get where we, we are, or England and New Zealand are currently playing as we go to air um, in the first day of 43 days of World Cup. Seems like the Cricket and Rugby World Cup go on for Yonks. Um, Rugby World Cup going on for as long as it does. It's just unnecessary for Wallabies fans. Just prolongs their trauma where they're holding out some false hope that Portugal might beat Fiji and then Australia might still qualify for the... Just give it up, mate. Just fold. Fold. Get them in the Rugby League. Um, but your Nostradamus for the, for the Cricket World Cup, obviously, you know, it's a long format round robin into a final four scenario. Um, obviously, we should Australia should progress to the semi-finals, but you know who do you expect to start for Australia? A lot of it, you know, as a lot of these guys will be in their last World Cup: Warner, Smith, uh, Stark, Hazelwood, most likely Cummins as well. Um, who, who's standing up for Australia, and, and then who's taking it home? Obviously, India at home uh, is, is a big challenge. Yeah, mate. So I've I've had a good think about this um, sort of both in the build-up to this episode, but also just in my own um, wonderful shit-fest of a brain. Um, I think India at home is one of the most sort of dominating like home teams in any sport anywhere in the world. Um, so I can see them in the final, but I see Australia in the final as well. I think We've, we've found a good vein of form in the short game. Obviously, we lost a few of those warm-up games, but those T20s over in South Africa was just, like, ridiculous, some of the some of the performances we were seeing from the Aussie boys. So I think we'll, we'll keep that form going. Um, we'll find our right sort of team to put on the park every game. I think Australia win the final. Marnus Labuschagne, player of the tournament. I noticed he was taking a couple wickets in, in those warm-up games with his shoddy spin bowling. So over in India, that'll definitely suit his, his um, abilities. And with the bat, I think he'll back it up as well. We all know Marnus has struggled from time to time outside of Australia, but um, he is scoring some runs here and there in those warm-ups. And if, if you've got a guy batting semi-high in the order and taking wickets as well... Um, as a little bit of, you know, your sort of casual all-rounder, I think that, like, what more value could you bring to a team than that? And he's also a little pit bull in the field. So he's got it all. Um, I think he'll be the player of the tournament in an Australian one World Cup. Well, that's, uh, I, love, I, love your, uh, I love your thinking there. I love where you're going. Um, I would love to see Australia win again. I think yeah, India in, in India is, a, is, a, is one of the great challenges in world sport. Obviously, being in a one-day format... Um, there is room, you know, for someone just to one player just to shoot the lights out on a, on a certain day, um, and if you get to that semi final final, um, you know, there's probably four or five teams that have have those players uh, that can can you win win your game single handedly in an ODI, ODI format. I think it'd be really interesting. I think it'd be really there'll be really high scoring games. I think more and more teams are bringing that T Twenty format to. Um, to the one day format again, I think people think that the one day format is doomed long term, um, and that this may be one of the last one day World Cups we see. But um, I think uh, you know teams are getting to the thirty fifth over and literally thinking they can double what they've scored in the first thirty five overs in the last fifteen. Um, so you know we could see the the, the highest record of four hundred scores, you know, or three fifty pluses for sure. 
um, with the stick. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be um, you know teams that that, have, that really bat well in that top four uh, and score bulk runs deluxe in that top four. Um, I think someone like a Mitch Marsh, if he if he has a great series that probably puts a great World Cup, that that puts Australia in a better position than probably someone like Marnus who who scored consistently, but Mitch Marsh can probably be a bit more destructive. So I'm going to go with him for the player to watch um, in this in this World Cup, and then I think. In terms of the final four, I, I think it could easily be Australia, India, England and New Zealand. Again, New Zealand always underrated to be in the last two World Cup finals. In my eyes, the winners of the last World Cup. Um, but that's just in my eyes. Um, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. But, yeah, I think given it's so long, I think, you know, Australia's appetite as a fan base to tune in probably won't feature towards the back end of the tournament. I think people might tune into Australia, India this Sunday. You know, and then maybe when we play England and New Zealand and those sort of games. But um, I think, um, yeah, we'll see how we go. And I think perhaps it wouldn't be a worst-case scenario if, you know, you're not playing your best cricket at this time and you are playing it more towards the back end of October um, because we all know cricket form is temporary. Um, it's a fickle beast and you just got to be there at the right time, uh, much like Australia were in the 2021 um, T20 World Cup. And also the way England were last year here when they lost to Ireland, uh, Duckworth Lewis affected obviously, but then went on to win the World Cup uh, and pumped Pakistan in the final. So hey, it'd be fascinating viewing. Um, hopefully a bit more success for the Australian cricket team. Obviously much more storied history than the Wallabies. Uh, they won nine World Cup or not nine international trophies, five World Cups. Uh, so you know t- there's something about tournament play that brings out the best in Australia, brings out that dog. Um, that we talk about so often here on the podcast. It's also our year as Aussies, Tom. It's been a, it's been a great year of, of Aussie sport. Obviously, the Wallabies shall not be talked about. Yeah. But, you know, we won the Netball World Cup. We did so well in the Women's Football World Cup. Um, we Women's World Cup cricket. Women's World Cup cricket. The best NRL season we've seen in a long time. You know, it's our year. It really yeah. is. World Test Championship. Drew the Ashes retained over in England. Obviously, didn't end the way we sort of desired, but at the end of the day, we still hold the trophy. We weren't beaten. Um, it's just a great, great year for Aussie sport, and it will continue. Absolutely. And uh, on, on that note, I think that's a great way to finish. Um, thanks so much for tuning in again. Uh, it's great to have our, our long-serving and, and significant fan base back on deck. Uh, we'll look to come to you a bit more frequently, um, but uh, until next time... Uh, enjoy your rugby league, enjoy your cricket and uh, always remember there's greener pastures on the other side.